Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Good morning, good morning, and welcome everyone to this Jesus inauguration service. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You know, I have been in this country for many years. I have seen many presidential inaugurations. I'm yet to be invited to Washington, D.C., or any of those inauguration celebrations. But thank God that you do not have to be invited to Washington, D.C. to participate, to celebrate, and to announce the inauguration of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Amen and amen. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome this morning to the service at Walkfine, coming to you from Lawrenceville, Georgia. And to all of you that's watching from home, we welcome you. We thank God for you. Our vision statement here is building strong families and serving global communities. And we are so grateful. We are so thankful that you are able to join us this morning as we celebrate the greatest event that the earth has ever seen. Hallelujah. Yes, he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead and lives forevermore. Hallelujah. Amen. So very quickly this morning, let me just jump into the word. Let's go to John chapter 20. I'm going to start to read from verse 11 through 17 and then verse 21. So John chapter 20, begin from verse 11. And uh, before I read the scriptures, let me, let me just uh, give an introduction to this message. Again, this message is the inauguration of King Jesus. Our culture tells us to look to our careers for a sense of worth, identity, and validation. Now, this, of course, leads us to walk out of a sense of fear rather than freedom. Fear of failure. Fear that my, uh, I will not get a promotion. Fear that I may not meet up. Fear, fear, fear. I don't think anyone summarized this more honestly than Madonna, the entertainment, entertainer. Give me that quote by Madonna, please. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Madonna, she said it like this. My drive in life, in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. Can you think about that? I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being but then, I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting. Unless I do something else. In other words, you always have to top the last one. We know how that is. You accomplish something, and then the pressures of our culture says, that was good for them. Now top it. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Oh, my goodness. So this is the point. 
If we cannot find validation or satisfaction or identity from our work, from what we do, where can we find it? I'm glad you asked the question because I'm going to tell you. We find our identity today at the tomb that Jesus walked out of on resurrection morning. Yeah. Hallelujah! Yeah. He, Jesus, secured for us the most important verdict of our life, that of being forgiven. And through faith in him, we are free from the penalty of death because he has conquered it. Now, but our verdict is more than just being forgiven. Think about a courtroom today. Think about the case of the century, the Jews, O.J. Simpson. Think about that for a minute. If a defendant is handed the verdict of not guilty, they, that defendant, is sent back into the world to re-enter society on their own. But that's not how God's courtroom works. Hallelujah. Isaiah 33, 22 says, the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord God is our God, and he will save us. So through Jesus, our advocate, we are not only granted the verdict of innocence, but then the judge. <laughs> God, the Father himself, he does something more radical, and I'm praying this morning that you will catch it, you will get it, you will embrace it, because you must understand you are not just forgiven and asked to re-enter society on your own, but the judge. He now invites you and me to come home with him, my God. He leaves that bench as a judge and grants you your forgiveness, your verdict of not guilty. And I says, you are not to re-enter the world on your own, but you are coming home with me. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> you go home with him and share the inheritance of his son. Yeah. So you see, we're not just forgiven. We have been given a new identity. As co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Now let me go to John chapter 20. Glory to God. I just needed to get out of the way because that's so important. We realize today we're not just forgiven and asked to live on our own. But as co-heirs with Christ, the Father himself invites you home to be with him. John chapter 20 verse 11, as we continue on the inauguration of King Jesus, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and, to, and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So this morning, I want to just address three things. Number one, what is the meaning of this inauguration? Number two, what is the mission of this inauguration? And number three, what is the message from this inauguration? So the meaning of this inauguration, very simply, very, very simply, this is the declaration of a new regime. Ah, you guys don't get it. Whenever there is an inauguration of a new leader, a new king, a new president, whenever there's an inauguration of new leadership, that inauguration declares a new regime. For those of you that came across the ocean, you are familiar with regime changes. When you wake up early in the morning and you hear nothing but military music, <laughs> letting you know that something happened overnight while you were asleep. And what that meant was the regime you knew before you went to bed has changed. Amen? There is a regime change. And ladies and gentlemen, with King Jesus, it is no different. I want to say to you this morning that this inauguration of King Jesus brought a declaration of a new regime. Caesar is no longer king. Hallelujah. Jesus is not enthroned. At the first Passover in Egypt, Pharaoh was neutralized. In this Passover that Jesus went, Satan's head has been crushed. Hallelujah. Light has overtaken darkness. Fearfulness has been overtaken with boldness. Poverty has been overtaken with prosperity. Sickness has been overtaken with wellness. I'm telling you this morning, there is a regime changer. You can say to your neighbor, say, neighbor, there is a regime changer. Say, there is a regime change. Hallelujah. 
when sickness knocks on your door, let sickness know there's a regime change. When poverty knocks on your door, let poverty know there's a regime change. When darkness knocks on your door, let darkness know there's a regime change. When sin knocks on your door, let sin know there's a regime change. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Glory to God. There is a shift in the heavenlies. There is a change that's taking place. The kingdom of God has come to the earth. Hallelujah. And the Bible says Jesus prayed a prayer that what so is done in heaven, let it be done in the earth to God's glory. I just pray for us this morning that we will not be like the Japanese army officer in World War II. His name is... Uh, 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 hero, uh, man, I can't remember his last name right now. But for 29 years after the war was over, he did not believe it. Yeah. True story. This man was still hiding in the forest of the Pacific. Yeah. Even though they were dropping leaflets to show that the Japanese had surrendered and that the war was over. He will look at the leaflet. Ah, I say, this is propaganda. It can't be true. <laughs> and continue to eat, eat grasshopper for 29 years until finally his commanding officer got to know that he was alive, that he was sitting in the bush, had to personally come from Japan to come and find him out and tell him it is true. For those of you listening today, I pray that you will not be like the Japanese army officer. That you will accept on his face value the fact that there is a regime change. And that therefore, you will comply and believe that Jesus, in fact, has come to set you free and to be an, a, a partaker of the inheritance that God has prepared for all of us. Now, that's the meaning of the inauguration. It is a regime change. How about the mission? Now, I must tell you that every inauguration is carefully, meticulously prepared for. There is no detail that's left to chance. I mean, I've been in this country for a little while, a little while now, and I know how much time and how many people are involved in planning a U.S. presidential inauguration? Now, America does it well. But think about God, who for 4,000 years was meticulously putting together the details of this inaugural service. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, all of them coming together like a clock. You know, a clock has three hands, the hour hand, the minute hand, and the second hand. And for God, in those 4,000 years, when the hour clock, hour hand, struck 12, and the minute hand also struck 12, and the second hand also lined up and struck 12. Ah, Paul said it well in Galatians chapter 4. 
He said, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Why? To, 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 to redeem those, those of us that were under the law. So I want, you, I want you to know that the Trinity carefully for 4,000 years planned this inauguration. So nothing that's happening on this day of Jesus' resurrection was going to be by chance or happenstance. None. Now I'm saying that to make the point about the mission of this new regime. In John chapter 20, Please go there with me again to verse 16, I believe it is. John 20, verse 16. No, let's go to verse 15. Verse 15. John 20, verse 15. Look at this. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She said, supposing him to be the gardener. Let's stop there. I just told you that everything about inauguration is left to nothing, but uh, no, no chance. Every detail is carefully planned. When I went to the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, they have places there where you can see every president of this United States and what they wore for their inauguration and their wife till today. Every U.S. president. Why? Because one of the most important details of every inauguration is the appearance of the king-elect. How will he appear? Will he be wearing Gucci, Salvatore Ferragamo, Calvin Klein? What will he wear to this inaugural service? How will he address his subjects? Will he come with strength to project how strong he is? Or will he come meek and humble like a lamb? So here in John 20, 15, when Mary saw this king, he was not wearing Gucci. He did not have on Calvin Klein. He did not have on Salvatore Ferragamo. In fact, his appearance to Mary was as supposed like he was a gardener. Your king appeared at his inaugural service, allowing Mary to mistake him for a gardener. You thought that was an accident? You thought that was a mistake? No, it wasn't. He was trying to project something. Jesus chose to be mistaken as a gardener to convey the mission of his new regime. You see, the last Adam was also a gardener. No, not that. The first Adam was also a gardener. 
but he was a gardener that was banished from the Garden of Eden. We read this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. He was banished, and God had to pay, put a, an angel with flaming sword at the entrance of that garden so he can never enter the garden again. Adam was banished, and here we are. This is not God's service. This king is being presented to us, hallelujah, as none other than the last Adam who will be the true God now. <laughs> hallelujah. You see, gardens are a place of beauty, a place of shelter, a place of sustenance, a place of protection. You can read this in the scriptures. I won't take the time to go there. And therefore, Jesus' mission was to restore and to plant a delightsome garden of which all believers worldwide will be part of that garden. Ladies and gentlemen, you can look across the room this morning, you can look in your house, you can look at those that's there with you watching, and I'm presenting to you the flowers of the Lord. Hallelujah. You will be part of the planting of God, you will be part of the restoration of God, and not only that, he knows you by name. He says Mary, he says Bank, he says Ibadi, he says Joseph, he says Stephen Onofio, I know you by name. Each flower that I'm putting in his garden, I can call them by name because I made them. Hallelujah. His mission is to restore us. To restore us to beauty instead of ashes. To restore us to joy instead of mourning. To restore us with the garments of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. We are the oaks of God's planting. The trees of his planting. Oaks of God. So his mission is restoration. What we lost in Adam, he came to restore it. And so by appearing as a gardener, he was making a declaration. What Adam could not do. My God, I hope I get to that in this message. What Adam could not do, Jesus not only did, he topped it. Amen. And he stays topped. Hallelujah. No, no, no. This is not like Madonna. No, no, no. Nothing else will top this one. Because Madonna struggles, she does well, and she says, oh, how can I top it tomorrow? No. With Jesus, it was done once and forever. Hallelujah. Full stop. End of story. Hallelujah. Done. You are a delightsome bunch, she says. You are a pleasant one, he says. No matter what the world has said about you, you need to believe what Jesus is saying about you this morning. Amen. You are complete in him. He's adopting you as part of his family. Yes, Glory to God. You are part. This inauguration is about him, but also about you. So we understand the meaning of the inauguration. We understand his mission. Now, what is the message? In John chapter 20, in verse 17. Because I don't want to be careless to not let us know that this regime change, this inaugural speech came with a mission and with a message. Hallelujah. In John 20, 
Ah, no, no, no. Be before I get there, please, let me, let, let me go to one scripture so you can understand how and what you are as a garden. Isaiah 51 verse 3 in the message translation. Isaiah 51 verse 3. Because his mission is to restore us, to plant us as a delightsome garden. And all believers will be a part. Thank you. Look at the scripture. Likewise I, God, will comfort Zion. I pray for each one of you here this morning. Who needs to be comforted? God himself will comfort you in Jesus' name. Comfort all her rounds of ruins. Every area of failure in your life that has not produced, God wants you to know is undertaking to com comfort it. But look at what it goes on to say. I will transform her dead ground into Eden. <laughs> Did you know what happened at Eden? You know what Eden was? A place where there was total, complete sustenance. Nothing lacking, nothing missing. A place where Adam had all his needs and all his provision met. God says, it's going to transform you like Eden. Her moonscape into the what? Garden of God. A place filled with exuberance. And laughter. Can I hear any laughter in this place this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> oh, glory to God! A place filled with exuberance and laughter, thankful voices and melodic voices. That's who you are. That's what Jesus came to inaugurate. And so now back to the message of this inauguration in John chapter 20, verse 17. I just have to show you that scripture. John 20, 17. So, after Mary saw Jesus and he appeared to her as a gardener, in verse 17, he begins to deliver the message. First, we know this is a regime change. Second, we know it's going to be a restoration because this is the true gardener. Now, thirdly, we see the message of this regime. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go, and, but go to my brethren and say to them, and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So Jesus' message in this inaugural service is twofold. Please pay careful attention. The first message he said, go and tell my brothers. No, 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 no. Not the world. Hear this clearly. He is not telling her to go tell unbelievers. He said, go and tell my brothers. What's, what point is he getting at? In Matthew chapter 10, in verse 6, I won't, don't go there because I need to move on. Jesus refers, he told, he told his disciples when he sent them out that they should not go to the Samaritans, but rather that they should go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what is he getting at? Here is the inaugural service, and his first message in this twofold message was, go tell my brothers. 
In other words, go tell the church. What is the message to the church? Why does he need to talk to the church? Because like Israel of old, Israel in the Old Testament never understood her calling as a missionary nation. And therefore, they did not embrace it. They only saw God as a picky bank, as an ATM machine. I need this, put your word in, get your need out. I need this, get your... Over and over and over and over and over. So Jesus refers to them as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, all through scriptures, sheep is used to describe the saved. And goat used to describe the unsaved. But it refers to Israel as the lost sheep of the house. Oh my goodness. Thank God for church this morning. I only just wonder how many are in church that are lost. Not lost as not going to heaven. No, 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 no. Pastor Larry defined that for us beautifully. Your past is settled, your present is secured, and your future is assured. There's no question about that. You are going to heaven, but you may still be lost. Lost how? Pastor, help me. How can I be lost and I'm going to heaven? If I'm lost to the purpose of God, if I'm lost to the mission of God, if I'm lost to the message of this inauguration, if I'm lost to the things that make his heart beat, I'm a sheep, but I'm lost. Because everything he puts in my hand, I think just about me, not recognizing that this regime calls for a regime change. From selfishness to selflessness. Hallelujah. Ah, it's getting quiet here. I love it. Glory to God. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Please give me the Banner Brothers. Boy, the only problem is I can read this. I need a binoculars to read this. Walk fine, we have a problem. Okay, so now let me turn behind. Let me turn for a minute. This is Banner Brothers. And this is a survey that they did of church-going fellows. Now, if I could not read it, I'm sure you guys probably can. Can you guys see it? The questionnaire is very simple. Have you heard of the Great Commission? Is that not simple? A second great person can understand that question. Have you ever heard of the Great Commission? Answer from church folk. Six percent says, I'm not sure. Seventeen percent says, yes, I've heard of it, but and I know what it means. Twenty-five percent says, yes, I've heard of it, but I can't recall the exact meaning. Fifty-one percent says, no, they've never heard of it. And they are all in churches this morning celebrating what? Resurrection. 
Resurrection from what? If in his passion, he bore our sins, bore our griefs, wounded for our transgression, and by his stripes we are healed, and we that should be the carriers of this message, 51% have never heard it. Only 17% knows what it means. So you can appreciate now why Jesus said, go to my brothers and tell them. The second part of the message that Jesus gave is in verse 21, John 20, 21. John 20, 21. Two-fold message. John 20, verse 21. Thank you. John, Johanna, John, <laughs> chapter 20, verse 21, thank you. <laughs> Praise God. So Jesus said to them again, because you can't just say it one time, I think they get it. Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Two-fold message. Go to the church. From the church, get your raw materials, get people engaged, and then together, go tell the world. My friends, if we're not doing that, if we're not actively following and obeying that, we're making an empty shout for Resurrection Sunday. Our shout will be shallow, and really, honestly, be an embarrassing shout. Because the reason it got up well, so you can give people living hope. Now, very quickly, let me just go on to close this morning. There are four prominent gardens in the scripture. Now, there are a lot of gardens, but I say prominent. There are four prominent gardens. Each garden represents different stages of our lives. And the good news is God is in every stage. The first one we see in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, is the Garden of Eden. And what we know from this garden is that it's a place where man lost connection with God. And my prayer for you this morning, those of us who may not know God, who has lost a connection with God, my prayer for us is that you will be reconnected back today in Jesus' name. That you will not remain disconnected because this is the reason and purpose for which Jesus died and rose again from the dead, that you can be grafted back into who God is. Don't stay disconnected. Being disconnected is a way of death. Jesus came to give us life. Get that life in Jesus' name. Second garden is the garden of Gethsemane. Ah, that what Gethsemane means. Gethsemane means the place of pressing. Many of us now, as I'm speaking, are in that place of pressing. Pressing from pressures of life. Being pressed from tribulations. Being pressed from trials. That garden represents the fact that God is found in the midst of our suffering. This was the same place where Jesus was so pressed and despair of life. We ask God, is it possible 
for this cup to pass over me. To show you how the what kind of pressure was coming upon him. But the good news is, though we may be pressed on every side, hallelujah, we have a living hope in the Lord Jesus that your pain, your trial, your tribulation has an expiration date. The empty tomb is proof that good would outlast evil in Jesus' name. Hallelujah! Let's go to the scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm almost done. From verses 3 through 7. Give it to me in the Passion Translation, please. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. In the TPT. Look at what it says. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience what? A living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me just stop right there. That's enough. That's just enough. Grab hold of that scripture. That no matter what's, what you are going through, Jesus rose from the dead to give you a living hope. The third garden is the garden of the tomb. And this is the garden from time to eternity that confirms to us the living hope found in the resurrection. Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 55. He said, oh, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? He said, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. He said, but thanks be to God who has given us victory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> he said, therefore, we should remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the law. For we know that our labor will not be in vain. Amen. Hallelujah. And then, of course, the fourth garden is the heavenly garden of the book of Revelation. Chapters 22, verses 1 and 2. I won't read that. Let me just close. Of all these gardens, I want to leave us as we go now a couple of things about Eden and Gethsemane. At Eden, the first Adam compromised God's word. While at Gethsemane, the last Adam upheld God's word. Question is, as we go home, which one do you relate to? Which one? Which of these two guidance, thank you very much, do you relate to? When pressures come, when trials come, when you're confused, do you go back to Eden like the first Adam and compromise the word of God because you want to fix the problem yourself? 
Or, like Jesus, who, like me and you, was pressured? Do you say, yes, I'm pressured. Yes, I'm burdened. Yes, I'm having serious issues. But, like the three Hebrew boys, are you going to say, oh, king, we do not care about this matter. <laughs> we will uphold the word of God. Because we recognize that we may suffer a little bit, but after, thereafter, the victory comes. Now, the choice you and I make today makes a huge difference. When a man named Mordecai Ham shared the gospel with a young boy years ago, this is a true story, he had no idea what good would result out of it. He had no idea. Not many people today know Ham's name. But through his simple faithfulness, God converted Billy Graham. And through Graham, millions. You see, anyone can count the seeds in an apple. But only God can count the apples in a seed. This is the reason the choices we make are critical. Do we go to Eden and say, I don't like this, I don't like that, I'm going to make my own way? Or are we going to hang with Jesus and get some money and say, Jesus, we receive the strength that you had to go through what you went through. Because at the other side, God's name will be glorified. And so, Father, this morning I want to thank you for this inaugural service of your son Jesus, of which we partake and we celebrate. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because we recognize that you not only went to the grave and was risen from the dead, but your word promises that if the same spirit that is in Jesus is in us, that you will quicken our mortal bodies. And if you freely give your own son, to us, how much, would not, how much more will you not freely give us all things? And so, Father, we thank you for what this regime change represents, that we've been translated out of darkness into your marvelous light, never ever to live in bondage to sin and darkness, but to live a righteous, living hope found only in your son Jesus. We embrace all of who you are. And we thank you that in all of the guidance of life that we go through, you are there. And so for that man or that woman who has been disconnected, Lord, I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit is talking on your heart to bring them back home to you. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit to draw them now and to bring them to a saving relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for their salvation. Thank you for their deliverance. And for those of us that are struggling through some trial or tribulation or testing at Gethsemane, Lord, just as your Father strengthened you in that garden, I receive the strengthening of God for all of your people right now that they do not grow weary in well-doing, that they hang in there. 
And that same victory that was yours at Calvary will become theirs now. We receive it for them. We thank you, Lord God, through it. In Jesus' name.